gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, it's Friday the 13th, the final chapter on Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, internet. This is Patrick Hamilton reaching out to you from Camp Crystal Lake. Well, as close to it as we can possibly get. Hey, guess what? It's raining. It's the perfect mood to talk about the final chapter of Friday the 13th. And just to review for those who might be joining us for the first time, we explore the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of every hack, slash, and decapitation in the hopes that a character's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we can make about them. And I always wander through the moral morass of this horror franchise with one person who has a clarity of vision to know how to get to the other end and that is the one the only gina radcliffe how are you doing gina i i'm good patrick do you have your uh do you have your slicker do you have your rain boots are we are we ready to uh traverse this muddy forest together yeah i might go slicker sure why not <laughs> clear slicker because nothing's sexier than clear slicker uh and hey we even have a special guest this week gina from the stage of fools podcast which follows ever so closely the e-scripted series the royals which returns this very month in december it is shannon camp how you doing shannon Oh, I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. I feel like the young, nerdy Tommy Jarvis to you guys is like older, cool kids who are having a fun big kid party. <laughs> thank you for thank you for that. I have never had a younger person tell me that I was the cool person they wanted to hang out with. I'm gonna I'm gonna coast on that all this week. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk into my office this, tomorrow just shooting finger guns at everybody and saying, you know what? Some younger person said I was cool. I'm I'm glad to have contributed. I'm going to hang up now. Have a good show, guys. <laughs> Bye. Good night. <laughs> it's nothing but slow motion hip hop walks for me the rest of the week. So, Shannon, the, what our sort of ceremony here at the Kill by Kill podcast, when we have a guest who graces us with their presence, is to ask them what was their introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise. And I think you might be a rarity amongst uh, the people who have joined us. My introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise was when Patrick asked me to be on this podcast <laughs> and when I watched the movie last night. That was it. I, I'm totally new to the franchise, fresh off the boat. I will admit that I had uh, some level of background knowledge just because I listened to a lot of film-centric podcasts hosted by guys who are into those franchises and have been for a long time. So, you know, conversationally, I had picked up a little bit of background about the Jason character and sort of the general idea and a few things about the town but this was my first time actually sitting down and seeing more than a very short clip of one of the movies. I wouldn't consider myself to be like a horror genre hater it's just something I came to late because I'm a wimp and I was an incredibly you know easily frightened child so I'm just now getting to some of what I guess would be considered like the horror classics and I have to say what really stuck out out to me about this movie and it was pretty much the first like slasher type movie I'd seen was mm -hmm. I guess I I understand the appeal of the movie because it was fast paced and there was a lot of like interesting kills I 
don't understand why the Jason character caught on and has established a place in pop culture lore the way that he has because I went into this movie thinking like oh Jason is such an iconic character I wonder what his weird tics and like what his personality traits are and what sets him apart from other movie monsters but he didn't really do anything besides you know he has these quick kills and then they quickly cut away yeah he's definitely the least interesting aspect of these movies and i think that's why in later movies they kind of attached a sort of weird mythology to him like in jason goes to hell he's he's no freddy krueger he's no dracula yeah yeah. i mean i get that i get that i think for me personally, I might want to check out one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies because it seems like Freddy is more of a monster that I would be interested in, perhaps. But uh, I get that. Jason is sort of like a zombie, and obviously there's a certain fear attached to zombies. So uh, that makes total sense to me. It just, not to skip ahead too much because I want to focus on our kills, but then when he has that, when he has like a moment that's about his mother or his childhood or something. I'm just not particularly scared or affected because I didn't necessarily see where that was coming from. But again, this is all immaterial. I still found the movie very entertaining just because it's so like, bam, bam, bam. Like <laughs> This one moves at a pretty steady click. Yeah. That's for sure. It, so, it does, oh, but it's but it's um it's interesting that there's a pretty long stretch of time between the first set of kills and then the second set of kills. Because they're they actually do take some level of time developing the thirty seven or so characters in this seriously, movie. <laughs> and they all look alike. Cause it's the eighties, so everyone is so white. Like I think half the movie was spent arguing with the person I was watching with over like, wait, which one is Tommy's sister? That's Terry. No, that's Sarah. I think that's Tina. Tammy. Yeah, you Fuck. can't. You can't. The, <laughs> the only way you can tell people apart is the volume of their voluminous yeah. hair. It's nuts. Let's get to this so that everyone might be caught up. Let's. Uh, we have already dispatched three people who were never meant to be in this film for very long. One of them in particular, I think the world's better off because he's gone. But now is when we meet everyone else in the movie and let's review them very quickly first off we have tommy and tommy is a sid marty croft puppet who's been granted life (laughs) next we have tommy's sister trish whose hair is bouncy and full of life unlike her performance and then there's tommy and trish's mom who's named mrs jarvis she's not given a first name You want to know how bad sexism was in the 1980s? A major character in this movie is not given a first fucking name. Major character. (laughs) Well, I mean, the the interesting thing that could be said about Mrs. Jarvis is that she has settled down in a new life post-divorce with her children a mere mile or so from where a gruesome mass murder took place. And as best as I can recall, it's never mentioned. They, they don't She talk. reads a newspaper about it. Yeah, she does. It's she, on the front page of the newspaper. She, she seems fairly unruffled by this. <laughs> um, you know, well, I mean, it just seems like one day after the other is another massacre. Because let's keep this in mind. This chronologically in the insane sort of timeline of this movie takes place only a day 
day or so after the events of part three, which takes place only a day or so after the events of part two, which at least took place five years after part one. So yeah, there's been around 30 plus bodies that have shown up in this little town that you just like, well, I've separated from my husband. I need to find myself. Where have there been a lot of murders? Let's head there. (laughs) Is it isolated? I'd like to find an isolated place that's seen a lot of murder lately. Yeah, with her her son, who is obsessed with horror movies and horror movie imagery. But, you know, she's fine with that. That's nothing nothing wrong. She's more focused on the fact that her ex-husband may have asked about her the last time uh, he talked to the kids. But, yeah, other than that, no, this is fine. This this is good. We're we're perfectly safe here. You guys have both watched uh, Stranger Things, right? Yeah. Well, no spoilers if anyone who's listening uh, hasn't yet watched the series. First of all, what are you doing with your life? But second of all, exactly. I'll just I'll I'll humor you. I'll baby you this once. Uh, to me, the Mrs. Jarvis character really threw into sharp relief. Uh, Mike and Nancy's mom, Karen Wheeler. She's like mm-hmm. the classic 1980s mom on that show. She's got the same big feathered hair as Mrs. Jarvis. But when kids start missing in the town, she's like, "All right, you two aren't allowed to leave the house." And she kind of bucks every 80s horror movie mom trend. I thought that was really interesting. When I was watching Mrs. Jarvis, I could not stop thinking of like, well, that's the opposite of what Karen would do. (laughs) I just liked that about Um, Stranger Things. They made her a little less stupid than some of these women. They made everyone a a little less stupid. (laughs) I think that's probably one of the best things about it is while people still make mistakes, they don't necessarily make them out of stupidity. They just, since we see everything and they don't, they make those decisions. Whereas people in this film make some incomprehensible moves, but we will get to them. Now, those are the people who are are in-towners. Let's move on to our out-of-towners. We're only a third of the way through this fucking list. We have Samantha, who's a brunette. And then we have her boyfriend, Paul who's tall, dark, and breathes oxygen. He's like, Paul is the sports bro, and there's Douglas. Is that the other bro's name? Doug. Doug Doug. is surfer bro. So you have like the two different flavors, but both very bro. Doug is a man who's so beautiful, he's approaching the uncanny valley. Yeah, he (laughs) looks like one of the boys from the Brady Bunch mashed with Gregory Peck and a Ken doll. (laughs) I think Ken doll is a very good explanation of his looks for those who have not caught his vision. And then we have Sarah, who is a, a young girl who's confronting her blossoming sexuality by accusing her friend of being a slut in casual conversation. Yeah, yeah there's two there's two virgin storylines going on in this in this uh, in this movie. We've got Sarah's virginity and we've got Jimmy's virginity. Neither of them are interested in losing it with each other, but they're going to lose it at some point on this on this camping trip. Well, I can't imagine a more awkward sexual encounter than Sarah <laughs> and Jimmy having sex. That's a lot of elbows in the mix. Uh <laughs> There's a lot of uh, shaming all around because if you're not having sex, you're being shamed. And if you are having sex, uh, you're being shamed. Yeah. And speaking of slut shaming, you've got uh, from literally appearing out of nowhere are um, Terry and Tina. They mm-hmm. are uh, identical twins and they are DTF, man. I mean, well, I should say Tina is Terry, not so much. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, as soon as Terry appears on screen and also like they're, they don't they're wearing matching outfits, which you know, apparently that's supposed to be sexy. I always find it a little creepy when you see adult identical twins. Especially because the, the matching outfits, you know, the sex appeal lies in, ooh, 
oversized pleated linen pants and shades of pastel <laughs> with a pastel plaid shirt tucked in with well, a belt you know like well, it's it's pretty obvious it's pretty obvious that neither of them are wearing bras but i mean but that's okay because nobody seems to wear underwear in this movie <laughs> like as we nor should they yeah should be I mean, criminal uh, yeah this, for any of these people to wear underwear terry this wears is, underwear that looks like Mowgli's diaper her white underwear is so <laughs> baggy and ruched i was like oh my gosh no wonder she feels insecure about having sex she's suffering from incontinence one issue at a time <laughs> but yeah but yeah tina is already heavily flirting with uh with Paul and and Sam is just like she's practically like growling and hissing at her and and it, you know of course they're gonna be like oh hey you come hang out at this party tonight with my girlfriend who hates you on site I feel like it was established actually that Sam and Paul were sleeping together but I don't think they were officially boyfriend and girlfriend just because of the conversation that Sarah and Samantha have where Samantha or Sarah says that Samantha sleeps with everybody and Samantha says says I don't sleep with everybody but I'm sleeping with Paul she, she sort of creates a lane for herself where Sarah is like I can't I can't believe that you'll just sleep yeah. with anyone fuck and it's you, like Sarah it's like screw off what the fuck is it why she's so goddamn concerned I think to go back to the uh the stranger things comparison I think she's the barb of yeah. the group just the, just a little more overt about her, you know, puritanism. And, and I mean, I know when I, one of the reasons why I related so closely to Barbara, then I mean, come on, look at me, um, uh, is that, you know, it, when you, I was at that age at 16 or so where the idea of sex and sexuality was kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, anybody who was already you know, doing that sort of thing, you know, I sort of judged a little harshly. But more out of out of fear than than dislike or distaste. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that she comes off a little more obnoxiously than perhaps she might have in this. Uh, it, and again, it kind of gives the whole, you know, why are these people all on this camping trip together with half of them don't even interact with each other and the other half don't seem to like each other very much. So yeah, we it, have yet another group of friends that are mostly inexplicable while they, why they would ever travel to an isolated location together other than convenience. I think some of this too may be, and I know this is a wild idea, but what if the 80s just didn't have the most enlightened ideas about gender roles? You know? What? Has anyone ever brought that up before? I feel kind of smart. Uh, listen, you are blowing my goddamn <laughs> mind. I'm sorry. I, I gotta. I gotta. I gotta sign off. I really need to go think about my my childhood and everything. I uh, I came to understand about it. This this is a uh, this is a stunning stunning realization. Yeah, you just gotta cry while looking in the mirror. It's fine. I do that on a daily basis. You know, just give in. <laughs> I, I, I'm like I'm so starting to hear Mad World playing in my mind right now. While I'm thinking about this. Just to continue uh, how gender roles are fucked up, we have uh, the two people who are the greatest example of that. We've got uh, Jimmy who is a guy who is unlucky in love as he is Crispin fucking Glover. He is Crispin um, Glover. That cannot be understated, his sheer Crispin Gloverness. And Crispin Glover at like a five in terms of like pouring it on, but even at that five has a million times more star power than 
anybody. And I mean anybody else in this movie. He's so weirdly well, he's hot, he, too, in this movie. He's got, like, blonde hair. It's very bizarre. I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> he's, he's, try, he's trying so hard to act like a normal teenage guy. God bless him. He's trying so hard. And, and it it just does not come off well at all. And and I actually wrote a review for my, my blog in which he probably a year or so before this was in a pilot called the best of times in which again he was supposed to play a, a normal high school student and he basically just acts like a like a, an alien wearing human skin it is so unconvincing and he just i mean the, the quirks are are they're coming out of his pores but i rewatched his death scene tonight and the way he talks he talks and like he'll talk and his mouth will be hanging open after he talks and it's just it's just a weird tick and he couldn't rein that in and it's just it's 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 amazing to watch him try to play normal and it just doesn't work it's almost impossible to focus on anyone else yeah anytime he's in a scene which i guess is the mark of a true star i mean i'm not dissing well, him. It's just, just it's it's funny his sort of partner in crime and and when it comes to Ted, that would be a sex crime. Uh, it's Ted. Uh, he's about as well versed in women as he is in computers. Oh my God, Ted, 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 Ted. And then uh, finally, we have Rob, who's a shitty monster hunter. He's yeah, just shitty at his job. Yeah, Rob is one of those. It makes sense for a moment, but when you think to more than maybe thirty seconds or so about what he's doing there, it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of the timeline. Mm -hmm. um, to establish, um, Rob is the brother of Marla. Is that the character Marth from Martha? I think I, I think it's Marla. But anyway, it's the it's the it's the the sad sandwich girl from part yes. two. Uh, she's the one who dies in the sex Sandra. 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 Uh, she is the one who dies in the sex kebab. Rob is her brother who who comes to Crystal Lake to avenge her death. Now, if you go by the timeline of the movie this was all just discovered yesterday less than a week ago less than a week ago so Sandra has been identified it's been established that it was jason Voorhees who killed her and it's already been established that jason has since escaped and then rob somehow manages to get there instantly and knows exactly where to go to to try to track him down not very efficiently but he knows jason's hunting patterns because he asks Hey, are there any groups of kids who are up here to party? How would you know that's a pattern? In the that that was an incident in the previous movie, but that only happened three days ago. Everything up until this point has occurred at a summer camp, which he is not anywhere near. Like, yeah. how many sides of this fucking lake are there? Yeah, it, 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 it sort of suggests that he knew that Jason was going to go back to the exact place that he went before. And it's, again, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And his character is probably the most useless character in the movie, and yet he lasts almost the longest, which is which is strange. He also withstands, I mean, not to scoop your show, he withstands a lot of punishment. <laughs> Oh and yeah, yeah. And he has and, 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 physical punishment. and he has a classic dying line too. So, yeah. <laughs> it's it's this film is Stay full tuned. of good stuff. It really is. But yeah, now now that we've got you know all nine hundred and fifty characters. All right, let's let's get into Samantha in and of herself. Let's circle back into her conversation in the bathroom. Samantha says that she gained her reputation in sixth grade. My guess is that's fucking manufactured and uh, I, sixth I, graders I, are assholes. 
I would hope. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's right before, if for some, that is middle school, and there is nothing worse than middle I, school children. I can't even talk about, like, children engaging in that. I can't, I will not. I hope it's a rumor, but, you know, you never know. Yeah. Well, for when it comes to that age, like, the rumor that you're somehow promiscuous can be anything from liking a boy to acknowledging boy's existence. So who even fucking knows? Or or just having developing breasts. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a real... Uh, uh, slight against a person's uh, moral code for reasons I can't even begin to understand. But yes, that strangely strikes home, and I'm ashamed to admit that. Yeah, Samantha is uh, in a relationshipish sort of thing with Paul, and so here's where I'm going to ask for your advice, uh, Gina and Shannon. Have you ever been involved with someone who habitually wears a hat? That was not the question I thought you were going to ask. <laughs> Woo! Wipes the beads of sweat off forehead. <laughs> um, okay, no, but something even potentially worse. I had a boyfriend who shall remain unnamed who had a vest that he was just like super into. He thought he looked so cool in his vest and he would wear it like every time we went out. Oh. It was a lot to handle <laughs> yeah no i've never dated a hat guy i did date a guy who was very proud of the free t-shirt he got from from sending in 25 hershey coupons and it was just like the hershey logo the hershey bar logo and every time i saw him he wore this fucking t-shirt this was just his free t-shirt he was incredibly proud of this i i guess it, it, it showed a certain affinity on for thriftiness on his on his part or oh, nothing sexier <laughs> <laughs> or or just a great love of Hershey bars. So I, I, well right that's a top ten sexy level there. <laughs> I appreciate a, a corporate chocolate product. Yeah. Oh my god, that fucking hat. I can't even begin because this is where I get a little bit of a flashback. This is a an admittance of my stupidity as a teenager. At one point I received a free Domino's Pizza painter's hat and proceeded to wear it the entire summer. And I look back at this and think, why was I so stupid? And then I remember, I'm just as stupid now. I just have a wife who would tell me to knock that the fuck off. Yeah, I'll go on record as saying dudes love free shit, even if it's branded. Like, I see guys carrying around, you know, Budweiser backpacks and... My dad owns a bar, so he gets all sorts of free stuff. And, you know, that's his wardrobe now. His t-shirts that he got for free. <laughs> he loves it. He's living his dream. <laughs> he might be He's living my him. dream. I don't want to make it. I mean, maybe not generalization about men in general, but I'll say dads. I'll say dads love free stuff. Well, the funny thing is, is that, like, later in this, this awkward party that we're going to get to, Jimmy takes... He starts wearing the hat and a sort of... I feel a sort of a, you know, look at me on the captain now kind of, kind of gesture. <laughs> <laughs> he also yeah. skews it to the side and imitates the three stooges uh, and yeah. still a woman kisses him and i find this that might as well be science fiction a spaceship That's might as well land moment. in this movie at that point <laughs> samantha's like kiss me and he goes soitenly and like turns his hat to the side and kisses her it's a, like are we in another movie moment but 
It was- he's probably got it down to his science because he really he has the hat on all the time. He's kissing babes all the time. Yeah. That brim's getting in the way. He's got to have a quick maneuver, you know, that leaves him ready to spring into action. Uh, before we get to the party very quickly, let's brush up so quickly on Terry's introduction. And Terry and Tina are practically inexplicable from one another, aside from one wears white pants and the other wears pink. But... Let's just say for the record that as the entire group goes off to uh, an element of the shore there, uh, Crystal Lake, these two ride in as if a Benny Hill sketch was filming just over the horizon. And as soon as they arrive, the sex element gets pushed up to 11. Everyone sheds their clothing as soon as they possibly can, jumps in the lake. Hey, why not? And twins. (laughs) And... And to add insult to injury, which is going to be the theme of this movie, I feel, is that the dog that uh, is owned by Tommy and Trish uh, and Mrs. Jarvis. His name is Gordon. His name is Gordon. Has a sixth sense for nudity. He just (laughs) knows where it is at all times. And he can't even be contained by a car. He just leaps out of it. And at some point... Later in the discussion about this, uh, about uh, Tommy seeing people in the nude, he says, well, that was some pack of patootsies. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is a patootsie? Is he cutting off cutesy patootsie? Is he trying to make sitch you happen? What is the fuck is going on with that? Like your little patoot as like a term for bum. It's kind of like baby talk. Yeah, but I've heard it. Sort of. Not exactly the way he used it. And definitely never by anyone except like, a caretaker talking to a very small child but did you enjoy how my voice cracked there that was in tribute to tommy because he's going through puberty. <laughs> i did that on purpose well, yeah speaking of speaking of tommy going through puberty there there is a later scene in which he conveniently has his bedroom located within peeping distance of i think it's sam's bedroom and yeah. he's watching her undress and almost literally going into convulsions he's and screaming. screaming and yelling into his pillow and it's like this boy does not have cable. I mean, it was not difficult to see naked boobs on television at that point. But this kid's acting like he was raising a box. And, He's one and- step away from being a cartoon wolf. Not to play devil's advocate, because, you know, I hate it when people do that. But don't you think it's different when it's someone in person? I assume. I, I would like assume so. Like a real so. woman I, in fr- I, who's there as opposed to someone on a screen. I suppose, but I I mean, I, I just, he's just he's overdoing it a little bit. I mean, oh yeah, he's overacting. Yeah, I mean, don't get me know, wrong. Yeah, the, the the tongue's about to go rolling out across the floor and then, you know, you have to pull a little string he's, to so it goes back like a Venetian blind. Well, he's not actually looking at them because um I was watching this on my Amazon Kindle. We are not paying them, by the way. <laughs> So don't get any ideas. This is not an official Shannon Camp endorsement. Mm-hmm. But I was watching it on my Amazon Kindle. And um, their video interface puts IMDb uh, trivia and credits up on the screen while you watch. Like if you tap it, it reveals itself. Oh. So during that scene, it let me know that because Corey Feldman was only 12 years old, he actually wasn't watching any of the scenes where he's like looking at skinny dippers or where he's looking at them having sex. But unbeknownst to anyone on the cast and crew, the actress who played Samantha, there's a moment, I think it's Samantha, where she leans down to pet Gordon while Tommy is standing right in front of her and she's not wearing a bra. And later Corey Feldman was like, yeah, I could see everything. (laughs) 
So, delightful bit of Corey Feldman trivia for you. Oh, and uh, the actress who uh, portrays Samantha, I think people might recognize her from... She mainly did a lot of TV, but where she immediately comes to mind for me is Weird Science. She has a very thank... Well, most people have a thankless role in Weird Science. But she has a particularly (laughs) thankless role as one of the high school girls that they want desperately and only gain after creating life from a computer so they can try to fuck Uh, it. Not just any life after creating the perfect babe. (laughs) Yeah, I think she's the one that that, uh, the one character wins her over by grabbing her ass in the middle of kissing her and somehow that's that's the move. That butt squeeze is is what pushes her over the top and just makes her fall madly in love with him. Oh. He's not afraid to take what he wants. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the that was the romantic advice. You grab her ass when you're when you're kissing her. That'll mm-hmm. that'll just that'll just seal the deal right there. Ugh, John Hughes <laughs> movies. Oh boy. Okay. Oh boy. Okay, moving right along. Go 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 go. Break break. Well, hello there, killers. It's your old friend Patrick Hamilton, and I'm breaking into the action very quickly for a big announcement. I am proud to say that we have joined the Ear Trumpet Audio family of podcasts, and they bring you some of the great shows that we you've heard us talk about as guest appearances on this very show, whether it's Lifemark or the songs that saved your life. They also have great shows like Pet Cinematary, and Ladies Who Library, Taxes and Tater Tots, uh, Please Don't Send Me to Outer Space is another one that I really love. Uh, just a fantastic network of people and shows that I'd love you to know a little bit better. And you know what? I want you to do me a favor and go on Facebook, input into that little search window, Ear Trumpet Audio. It'll take you to the Facebook page, which will have all the shows that are available on the network right now for you to listen to. It's a great place, and we're so happy to be a part of it. Thank you to everyone at Ear Trumpet Audio for bringing us into the fold. And now, ladies and gentlemen, back to the action. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. Let's shuffle off to Buffalo, and I guess we we kind of have to get to... Listen, we could talk about Samantha's motivations all day long, but to be honest with you, she's not around for very much longer and her and paul are sort of tied uh, in terms of how they die and what leads up to it which is all right i'll just say this out loud and you guys tell me if i'm wrong are terry and tina actually in a different movie where a pair of british twins seduce people and kill them after the fact and they're only cut off from that plot by jason Voorhees? what makes you say british they're british i uh, well i they did a good american accent <laughs> Um, they, I wouldn't have known. Yeah, I they come. I've only I've seen them. I guess after the fact, more times than in this particular movie. So they always read British to me. But oh, uh, I would not have known. I, I, I sort of. But I was watching this with subtitles on because I was having trouble hearing at times. So who knows? I, I sort of feel like Tina is a uh, not a Mary Sue, but kind of like what what. 
young men wish that, you know, young women they just happened to meet out in the middle of nowhere were like. She is a little implausibly aggressive about, mm-hmm. she, she's boning someone at that party. Yes. You know, first, yeah. first like she, it's on a dare. Yeah, first she, she you know, she flirts with Paul. You know, he's into it for a little while, and then he sees that he's pissing Samantha off, so, you know, well, no more of that shit. And then she just, she, well, I guess, I guess it's Jimmy. <laughs> she moves right on to Jimmy. And I don't think... I mean, I, I, you know, speaking for myself, I mean, I don't know that women are in reality that aggressive about getting laid in which they'll just, you know, hang their hat on, on, you know, any guy in, in a party that is willing to look their way. And I, and I sort of feel like the movie kind of wants to hint that this is a pattern of behavior for her. Because Terry is, you know, looking a little annoyed, a little concerned. And then later she, you know, outright gets sent on her way by her own sister. You know, because her, her sister, she's got to have it. You know what I mean? But and, Terry also encourages her. At first. With, at with first. sign language, walk over to the next one and and see if his penis is available. Yeah, Which weird... makes me feel like this is some sort of achievement she needs to unlock in order to move on in life. Yeah, initially it seems like a weird little game they're playing, and yeah. then and then when and then when it actually you know pans out into oh hey she's actually gonna go have sex with somebody, then Terry's like well time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's like competitive cock blocking or something. They're like you get them right up until the point you're gonna have sex, then I'm gonna sweep in and we'll go home and laugh all the way. Which if that's their game, it's that's their biz. Cock blocking, <laughs> you drag it out for as long as possible. Yeah, I, so it's I, more. Yeah, I feel like that, you know, if it had gone on any longer, like if 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 Tina had actually left, it would have been like, well, you weren't supposed to actually have sex with them. <laughs> we were just supposed to see if you could. Uh, so uh, there's this odd sort of trying to win over Paul by dancing to weird ass fucking music, and they're all doing this super formal slow. Yeah, and it's like it's like, like it's okay, like my hand goes in your hand, and my hand goes on your shoulder, and then you put your hand on my. And it's like do a know? box like, step. Like, it's not like party slow dance. Well, I mean, eventually, I mean, at one point, Tina and Paul are doing you know like proper embracing slow dancing, but uh, Jimmy is basically waltzing. Yeah, and they're playing He's keeping with this Jesus weird... in between there. Yeah, they're playing this weird, like, 1940s grandma music, which is, it's a party, even though it has about nine people. And and it's it's a makeout party, which is a little weird because, like, Doug and Paul and all of them are, like, 27, 28. They're, they're a little old to just be hanging out with their friends, just kind of, you know, you know, making out and pawing at each other and, you know, having a little weird relationship drama going on. The, the whole tone of it is very weird and uncomfortable and i i don't imagine it was intentional but if they really wanted a a realistic party they got it (laughs) i mean it's very disappointing like most yeah it's nine ten a dozen people mostly sitting around you know you know what you're waiting for you know the couple who is clearly into each other just you know go go upstairs pretend nobody knows what they're going to be doing yeah i had a lot of secondhand social anxiety during this part of the movie Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, awkward in almost every sense of the word. The, just using competitive beer slamming as a way to seduce people, which I don't, That's maybe that's just me. I don't find that sexy. That weird-ass pop metal song that they play, which is called Love is a Lie no by way. a band Lion. No, no way, way, not too <laughs> I mean, the lyrics to this fucking thing are insane. Very, very, very quickly. 
Light, light is on your side. Now there's no place to hide. The fantasy inside to you is just another game. So basically, this is a big... Uh, this guy is saying, you just want to sleep with me and walk away. Is that a genre of hair metal that I'm unaware of? I've never heard of this before. Well, the funny thing is, of course, as you probably know, the song that, that Crispin Glover dances... I put that in air quotes too. Mm-hmm. Um, is actually what he what he was dancing to was "Back in Black," but of course they 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 couldn't afford the the musical rights to that. But I'm, I'm that trying makes to, so much more sense. I was trying to imagine "Back in Black" while the scene, and it still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. You got to imagine on each of those like bomb, bomb, like he's like hitting every beat with his body like emphasis 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 he, you can't see it but i'm doing wild like fossey arms and jazz hands right he now. dances he dances like he's doing an interpretive modernist movement piece to lucy's uh, chocolate factory bit from i love lucy he's just constantly <laughs> assembling things putting them in his mouth it's too much he's spitting them out he's putting them back on the conveyor belt i oh my god now it's... here's now here's a question. Um, now Shannon, you probably have if you're not a horror movie fan, you've probably not seen this movie. So Patrick, I pose the question to you: yes. What is the better early horror movie dance scene, Crispin Glover in this or Ed Harris in Creepshow? Oh, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: this is certainly more bombastic, but Ed Harris is dancing disco like he's gonna murder somebody. And it's, and it's such an odd... It, it has no place in, in the movie at all. It's oh, my just God. This, it's just this very random scene where him and his girlfriend is boogieing in this, in this, music, in this old house. Let's celebrate our dead father by getting down. Oh, my God. Yeah. Even without having seen that movie, Patrick, you said Ed Harris is dancing like he's going to murder somebody. Mm-hmm. You can insert any verb in there and it's true ed harris is smiling like he's gonna murder somebody ed harris is stirring pasta like he's gonna murder somebody ed harris is petting a dog like he's gonna murder somebody mm-hmm. i'm terrified of him especially on westworld lately i mean yeah everything he does has an air of menace yeah it's i i think we should put i think we should put both clips up on the uh the facebook page and let the people decide because it's just, they're they're both delightful scenes to watch and so out of character for yeah. both of these actors but but yeah but but yeah getting back to this party i don't know <laughs> this felt very george mcfly to me this felt pretty on brand for old crispin for ed harris i completely agree with you for crispin glover i'm not so sure this is out of character they said in the IMDb trivia, which I know a lot of times IMDb trivia isn't necessarily 100% like ironclad true, but they said that was like how Chris, Crispin Glover was known for like dancing in real life. It was already kind of an inside joke with people who knew him. And so he chose to put it into the movie, but it was his idea, not like the filmmakers. There's nothing inside about that joke. <laughs> My, my favorite part, my favorite part more than the dancing is right beforehand. He goes up to Tina and he says, do you want to dance? And she's like, she's like to yeah. this. And he's like, he takes this, he takes this weird pause and he's like, it's good. And it's like, <laughs> it's like. And then he just starts jerking around in front of her. Like, how is she supposed to participate in that without getting whacked in the face? I just love the, I just love the, it's good. <laughs> it's just it's such a weird delivery of how he says it. And I just love it so much. <laughs> it's fascinating. You can't take your eyes off it. Okay. 
we're running <laughs> yeah, we gotta get to for for a show about killing people we haven't talked about it at all so let's let's go through this very quickly because while they're stiff and sudden uh, they're worth noting samantha swims out to a raft in the middle of the fucking night after getting fed up with paul strips nude and then climbs out of a lake into an exposed raft which, which does be- not which could be filled with chiggers. I'm just like, I'm like <laughs> cringing at just getting nude in this raft that's just been floating for God knows how long oh, in the middle of this even, lake. Yeah. Even more than that, it's a very inflated raft. Like it stands to reason that the sides of it are, even though they're filled with air, they're hard to a certain extent. So you see her clambering up on there. First thing, smashes her boobs right on the side, then swings her leg over, and all I can think of that is, you know, hurting herself between her legs. It looked very painful and uncomfortable to me. Yeah, so what we get here is basically the rev- the reversed cowgirl of the sad sandwich, where she's <laughs> where she's sort of face down, propped up on this raft so that the gag works, so you can have that Paul. arrow through the neck. And she, Jason swims so like a fucking submarine somehow. <laughs> Out there, <laughs> and the and the actress makes the the puzzling artistic decision to kind of make this Jerry Lewis, "Hey, lady," face when he initially stabs her. Oh, that's she- incredible. Her <laughs> face is her death face is amazing. Just to be clear, he stabs her up from underneath through the raft, right. through the belly, and then through the back. In sort of the... But they cut away so fast. <laughs> it's like stab and then gone. Yeah, he, there's I a lot of MPAA problems with this movie, so that's why okay, it's so jarring. I was expecting this movie to be super gory, but they showed a lot of nudity, but the gore and blood, I was like, oh, I'm not scared at all. And I'm someone who gets scared pretty, pretty easily, but every kill, they would cut away like instantaneously. So yeah, she gets it up through the uh, chesticle areas where usually calling it because we don't know if it's the stomach or the chest right up through her spine but at least this time it makes sense that he can get a knife all the way through her unlike mrs Voorhees in the first movie who manages to get a arrow through a bed the bed springs the spine and someone's neck with just 10 inches to move Yeah, here he just here he just seems to exhibit some sort of X-ray vision and unworldly arm strength. But he, is he standing? I, is he a strong swimmer? No, he's not a strong swimmer. Why is he in the middle of a lake? This is, he supposedly died this way, and all of a sudden he's fucking Mark Spitz in a hockey mask. Get the fuck out of here. And then now, let's Samantha. Paul eventually goes out there, takes off his shoes after he's already walked through the fucking mud like an asshole. And his shorts are so short. Oh, my God. They leave. <laughs> there's. I don't have any imagination left because it leaves nothing to it. And then he wades out there, and we get to see every stroke of this swim. As if a, a Paramount executive is like, they won't believe he can swim unless you show the entire journey from shore to that raft. Notices that Sam is at least injured, but immediately goes, fuck this. Doesn't even think I need to help this person. Yeah, he immediately swims away from the raft and then does, just doesn't even like try to pull it behind him or anything like that. Just Like knife wounds are catching or something. Yeah, just screams and swims away. Gets all the way to the dock where he's Met by Jason, who's lurking underneath. Now he's a fucking Mario villain. He's just he, <laughs> underneath something and it pops up. And 
he gets a spear gun, which I assume is the same spear gun from the previous movie. Well, you know, they didn't take that as evidence. They were pretty uh, slipshod in that investigation, as we already saw. Yeah, that's very, very true. Jabs a spear gun into Paul's crotch, and once again, adding insult to injury, then fires it once it's inside. Lifts him all the way up like he's a forklift. <laughs> somehow worse when you describe it than it was seeing it <laughs> that's what i'm aiming for worse than someone seeing it patrick uh-huh. colon just the worst <laughs> you know what i'm beginning to think that hat was lucky because as soon as he took it off guess what happened he's fucking dead oh well i'm from chicago so we're big into baseball superstitions so yeah that's out that checks out <laughs> <laughs> let's get to terry <laughs> Oh my god, this is the fastest we've ever gone through deaths. Terry uh, gets fed up that Tina's actually having sex with somebody after encouraging her to do it. Puts on a clear slicker, which is as flattering as every other element of her outfit. And as about as she's about to get on her bike to go to wherever these two come from, we don't get to see what happens. We get to see the shadow of it. She's speared through the back with what might be a giant spear or what might be a pitchfork, depending on who you believe. And a very obvious mannequin is thrown at the side of the house. The dummy in The Fugitive is more realistic than this. And that was being flung off a fucking dam. So, very quickly, let's play everyone's favorite game, Would You Rather? It's Choose Your Own Death Venture time. And Shannon, you're uh, the guest here, so you get to go first. What way would you rather die? And you have to choose one. Would you rather be stabbed through the stomach, through your back, then up through your back, naked on a raft, hoisted by your crotch by a spear gun, or uh, stabbed uh, through the back with a spear or pitchfork, and then have your lifeless dummy uh, pinned to a house? I've given this some thought already, and I have to say I would go with the third option, being impaled and then having my lifeless body slammed against the wall of the house because judging by the dummy in that second part she's already dead after that first blow so it seemed like the quickest death to me I just wanted to be quick that's really my only thing I felt like the raft death was similar but it seemed like a smaller blade that it wasn't as brutal. So it seemed like it would take her longer to bleed out and die. And I definitely don't want to be hoisted by the crotch. No, thank you. I have a visceral displeasure reaction to that. I'm sitting here with my legs crossed. So uh, I'm st- sticking with my answer. I would go the same way as Terry. Now, for sure. keep in mind, you're going to be found in that outfit. Better than being found naked or wearing Paul's short shorts. <laughs> All right. Check and mate. All right. Gina Radcliffe, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Terry as well because uh, I, I like to think that maybe she escaped while Jason was busy, you know, dressing a dummy in her clothes and flinging it at the side of the house. I mean, I have no proof that she actually was killed. Oh, that she does actually, she does actually show up later, but I'm, I'm going to pretend that she uh, scooted off on her little bicycle and, uh, you know, you know, has lived on to maybe start a pottery shop somewhere in the, the Cape May area of the New Jersey and, you know, thinks fondly of, uh, of her sister who was, you know, thrown out of a window at some point from time to time. But yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go with Terry. Okay. Maybe she owns a candle shop in Ojai, that sort yeah, of life. Yeah, I think so. A crystal <laughs> shop in Sedona, something like that. Very good. 
All right. Uh, well, this is tough for me, but uh, honestly, guys, I'm going with Samantha, and let me tell you why. The actress who you're proud of your body. I, a, I'm proud of my body. I have no problem showing it. God gave it to me. It is I my duty to you. present it to mere mortals in the hopes that they might achieve it. B, the actress who performed that particular role uh, caught hypothermia from that particular endeavor because they filmed it in October or January. No one can quite tell, but it was cold as fuck up above Santa Barbara. And she was freezing to death the entire time that happened. Therefore, she barely felt anything. It was so cold, she was already dying, and Jason just finished her off before it happened. So I'm going to go with Samantha. I was reading about that on the old IMDb Tribune. They were saying <laughs> that there was some really shady stuff going down with the stunts. Like they were not letting the actress who plays Samantha get out of the water in between takes. Mm-hmm. And actually, the actor who played Jason, I think, who was a. Uh, an experienced stuntman himself was advocating for things like getting Douglas a slam pad for his death because they weren't going to give him anything. He was getting actually slammed against the wall. And he was trying to advocate for the actors throughout, but it didn't end up working out. And he felt very burned after the movie was completed by how badly the actors had been mistreated, which honestly seems to be kind of like an ongoing theme with horror movies. The directors think that they can treat the actors like garbage to get some sort of realistic, horrified um, expression from them. And as an actor myself, it's really uncool because these people are, you know, professionals trying to do their jobs. And it's sad that they get subjected to that sort of mistreatment. Not to be too serious on a comedy <laughs> podcast, but I feel like I have to throw that out there. It's like, it is a big deal when stuff like that happens. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, say, I say you could blame that on, uh, on William Friedkin and all the... Uh all the bullshit he pulled on the actors in The Exorcist. And I think that because the the final results, for lack of a better phrase, looked really good, yeah. then, then every, you know, and then more or less... Kubrick yeah, with the shining, yeah, they fig- like firing guns off Yeah, they set. figured, you know, a lot of horror act- directors... Hitchcock. Yeah, figured, well, you know, let's, let's you know, the, the, the actors will be so happy with the end result, let's just put them through the ringer for the uh, best possible effect here. And so that brings us to the end of yet another Kill by Kill, sadly. Hey, Shannon, uh, where can people find you to, to hear your voice more often? Oh, well, if you'd like to cut yourself another slice of this nasal Chicago voice, then you can visit my website, Shannon-Camp, that's C-A-M-P-E, dot com. And um, not only do I have a directory of all my podcast guest appearances and a link to the site for Stage of Fools, my podcast with my co-host Zach Powers, uh, I also have uh, info about all the acting and writing endeavors that I'm working on up on the same site. So check it out. Excellent. Hey, Gina, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I write about uh, 70s and 80s television that no one else but me has ever thought about in a very long time at um, tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Excellent. Hey, folks, do you want to reach out to us and tell us something? You know that you can. There's a couple ways to do it. You can reach out to us uh, through our email account, killbykillpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, at killbykillpod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. I know that everyone asks, but it only really means something when you do it for our show. And that's just coming from my heart. And that's about it. Until next time, killers. For Shannon and Gina and myself, bye-bye.
by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.